When we have binding agreements with sanctions, like the Kyoto Protocol, nobody ratified it except the European Union and a few European additional member states. The United States was not in the Kyoto Protocol, neither Russia, neither Canada, neither Japan, neither the big emitters. Under the Paris Agreement, all the countries have committed to have action. So even if there are no sanctions, there is a bottom-up approach And, and, and countries realize that global warming touches them all. So there is action, for sure, with different intensity all over the world. And in that context, the European Union wants to be the first major economy to become climate neutral in 2050. That means to have a net zero balance of greenhouse gas emissions and show that you can have economic growth and eliminate emissions at the same time. Are you looking to grow yourself and your bottom line in the process? Do you need help scaling, growth hacking, and marketing, or with fundraising and introductions? If you want to 10x your business and build towards a sustainable future, be that a startup or a Fortune 500 company, I love helping businesses change the world for the better. I've been a founder, built startups and seven-figure businesses, coached and advised dozens and more, and learned my passion and purpose is pushing entrepreneurs to succeed. If you're a winner, aiming big, willing to go hard, and interested in potentially working together to uplevel yourself and your business, I'd love to chat. mattward.io slash coaching for more details. Quick timeout. Do you exercise or want the best from your brain and body on a daily basis? I know I do. And if you do, you should check out Onnit's top performance line of brain and body enhancing, keto, paleo, and pretty much everything friendly supplements like Alpha Brain, MCT Oil, and Total Human. Prefer a solid grass-fed whey or a double caffeinated drip to go hard? What about a powerhouse set of probiotics? They got it all and the science to back up their formulations. Plus, you can get a 10% off offer just for listeners by going to disruptors.fm slash onnit with two N's, O-N-N-I-T, and using coupon code disruptors at checkout. Again, that's disruptors.fm slash onnit, O-N-N-I-T, and using disruptors at checkout. They have everything that elite performers need, mentally and physically, to be at the best. Welcome to The Disruptors, the podcast about the future of all of us, where we look at the technologies, trends, and societal norms shaping our collective future. Hear the world's top minds share their insights and predictions on the convergence, direction, and ethics of exponential technologies transforming life as we know it. You can learn more and stay up to date at disruptors.fm. Today, I want to jump right into the interview because this was an epic one. We had Miguel Arias Cunet on the program. He was the European Commissioner for Climate Action and Energy and led the EU negotiations for the Paris Agreement, i.e. the Paris Accord, i.e. what Donald Trump pulled the U.S. out of because, well, we don't believe in climate change. Today, Miguel's involved with the Calouste Gilbenkian Foundation, who run the Prize for Humanity, a million euro annual prize focused on mitigation and adaptation to climate change for the innovators and creators out there trying to save the world. Miguel served the Spanish government as both the Minister of Agriculture and Fisheries and the Minister of Agriculture, Food, and the Environment, and has seen the ins and outs of the EU government. In today's episode, we discuss the unique challenges around crafting the Paris Accord, what the U.S.'s withdrawal means for climate policy going forward, how China is playing a bigger role when it comes to sustainability and what the future may hold, especially when it comes to democracy and centralized governments. Why agritech is so important in mitigating climate change, if we're going to survive the coming century. 
and what exactly happens if we don't hit our climate goals. This one's a big one from somebody who's deeply involved in the space, worked with all of the biggest players, and has some insights to share. And before we jump into the episode, a quick plug from my book, Synetic Wolf. It's 2096, 60 years after 90% of the world's died from a man-made bioplague, the result of the experiments where humanity was audacious enough to think we could engineer a better human genome. Humanities diverged into four vastly unequal subspecies under an immortal world government where half-human hybrids toil to keep their elitist overlords in power. If you guys are interested in checking out my writing, what I've been working on, mattwardwrites.com. If you get this before March 26 and hop on over to my site, you'll be able to get a free or incredibly discounted copy of the book. And if it's interesting for you, or if you just want to support me, that would be incredibly helpful. I would really appreciate it. MattWardWrites.com. And now without further ado, Miguel Arias Cunet. We choose to go to the moon in this decade and do the other things, not because they are easy, but because they are hard. So the first thing that I wanted to jump into you is just everything that's happening now with climate change, Trump pulling out of the Paris Accords, your role. Can you run me through a quick 30,000 foot overview of how you got here, your career in environmental and climate change based solutions and where you think we are today? Well, I, I, I arrived to climate change policy because I have been former Minister of Environment in Spain, my country. I became commissioner in the European Union responsible of energy and climate action. And I had to be the, the leader of the European Union delegation in the Paris Agreement. The Paris Agreement was a landmark, and now we are in the face of implementing the commitments in Paris. And I also had the opportunity to deliver all the legislation uh, needed in the European Union to have the most ambitious targets and to achieve them uh, in the timetable forecasted. So for me, it was a wonderful opportunity to be at the core of the political discussions of the most important climate agreement ever. So how does it make you feel that Trump kind of pooped on it from the U.S. side of things and is trying to pull out and ruin everything? Quite disappointed because with the Obama administration, we have a very good cooperation with Secretary Kerry in Paris uh, in the final stages of the negotiations, the United States play a major role delivering the Paris Agreement. And to see that after that, the U.S. withdraws from the agreement really is a very bad news. Nevertheless, nevertheless, uh, we from the European Union, we are very happy that there is action in the United States and that the Climate Alliance of more than 25 U.S. Uh, governors uh, is enforcing very ambitious climate policy. So mixed feelings. The United States withdraws from the formal negotiations, but on the ground, the United States at the uh, state level is acting vigorously, even if the federal government is on climate holidays. Yes, lo local coups, so to speak, to do the right thing. How do we create a, a system where we can reinforce the actions that we want? For instance, the biggest problem that most people see and that I see with the Paris Accord would just be the lack of teeth. It's hard to really punish someone for not doing something voluntarily that they agreed to. No, but the problem is when we have binding agreements with sanctions, like the Kyoto Protocol, nobody uh, ratified it except the European Union and a few European additional member states. The United States was not in the Kyoto Protocol, neither Russia, neither Canada, neither Japan. Uh, neither the big emitters. 
Under the Paris Agreement, all the countries have committed to have action. So even if there are no sanctions, there is a bottom-up approach and, and, and countries realize that global warming touches them all. So there is action, for sure, with different intensity all over the world. And in that context, the European Union wants to be the first major economy to become climate neutral in 2050. That means to have a net zero balance of greenhouse gas emissions and show that you can have economic growth and eliminate emissions at the same time. How do you deal with or how do you think about countries where, for instance, some some areas of Canada, Russia, et cetera, would actually benefit from global warming and increased temperatures just because it makes more of the country livable. It makes more natural resources available. They'd benefit in the short term, not in the long term. But how well, do you for deal sure, with climate change has different impacts, catastrophic in some areas and positive in a few cases. The problem is that the biggest part of the world will suffer enormously. It's, it's no good that people can have crops in areas that previously, because of the ice, they couldn't have them. If you see that Asia, Africa is going to be a desert and that there will be big migrations all over the places because of the impact of climate change. So we have to face the reality. The Pacific Islands may disappear. So we have a responsibility, the whole world, to fight global warming because it's one of the big problems of this century and will affect future generations. And also, if the ice caskets melt down, there will be impacts in the most developed countries also because of the rise of the sea levels. So, as a whole, it's very wise to follow the advice of the scientists and take urgent action on climate policy. I completely agree. I was playing a devil's advocate of in Hitler's time. If Hitler's could have, if he could have killed everyone in the world and had a German Reich of the entire world where his people could live wherever they wanted, probably would have done it. How do we deal with possibilities as we move into the future of the exponential technology going into potentially, let's just say, evil hands where small parties can create major problems? Well, the geopolitics will always be complicated, but the the, the important thing of climate policy is that for the first time, at a moment in there were no agreements at world level on any field, in climate policy in Paris, 197 parties approved the agreement. And more than 180 have made commitments under Paris Agreement. So this is a unique example of the opposite, of people going in the same direction and developed countries leading the way and they will have to share the technology and the innovation with developing countries to facilitate the transition from fossil fuels to clean energies and make uh, the biodiversity and environment safe in the future. What is the best way to make that transition, especially what you just said, helping the less developed countries essentially leapfrog dirty technology into cleaner technology? Well, I think that the best way is what the European Union is doing at the moment. The European Union has committed to be climate neutral in 2050. That will need lots of innovation, of developing new technologies, and also lots of development aid so that developing countries can have access to these technologies 
and that the private sector is able to invest in developing countries to make an energy transition efficient. That is the best way forward. And in and, and developed countries, we have a responsibility because um, the Industrial Revolution took place in developed countries. And we have been the biggest users of fossil fuels and the biggest emitters for a long time. So if we want that the world uh, uh, eliminates emissions, we have to have a very good cooperation with developing countries so that their economic models of the future are based in clean technologies. One of the big problems we have in the U.S. is campaign finance, where I run a big corporation and I can basically buy a politician because the politician needs so much money to run. And of course, we have big pockets. How would you deal with the fact that especially big oil is incentivized to keep the status quo going, so to speak, because if we no longer need as much or any oil, suddenly the business is dead. And from a Milton Freeman type capitalism perspective, the idea is create as much value as possible for shareholders. Would you want be on board with something where it was more or less a, hey, here's a lump sum payment to oil companies now go away and die or no longer to operate? Well, I think that there is a, a common perception in the world that we are going to face an energy transition. Energy transition doesn't mean that fossil fuels will disappear tomorrow. For sure, we will finalize using only clean sources of energy, renewables, eh, and hydrogen, eh, renewable gases, and so on, carbon capture and storage. And, and all the big companies also realize that their economic model in the future will be different than now. Some of them are investing also in green technologies. And there is another, another situation now that the big um, pension funds, that the, that, that the big funds of the world are disinvesting in fossil fuels business and are investing in, in clean technology. Okay? So that, there's a big movement to facilitate the transition. But it's pretty clear also that be, between now and the moment in which the world has to decarbonize, there will be uh, gas, natural gas, will be a bridge fuel between a fossil fuel-based economy and an economy based in renewables. And also, oil will not disappear absolutely, because for making plastic in the petrochemical, we will have to use oil. And for transport in, 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 in ships and, and, and airplanes at the moment, it will not be easy to electrify these, these systems uh, so Oil will not disappear completely, but the role of fossil fuels will be much more reduced in the future, and mainly fossil fuel subsidies have to disappear if we want to be coherent with the objectives of the Paris Agreement. We have a saying in English, when someone says something we completely agree with, amen. I'm not used so, to people so, always agreeing with me, eh? because I, sometimes people say that we have two ambitious policies and that you will should go slowly. But I think we have a moral duty to be blunt, to be ambitious, and to show the way. I am firmly of the belief that humanity as a whole doesn't act until it has to, doesn't act until there's pain. And the best way to create that pain ahead of time would be setting your alarm 10 minutes early to know that you actually get up when you need to get up. And I think what you guys are trying to do is set the alarm 10 minutes early so we, we actually have a chance of hitting the goals. We, we have taken in the European Union very seriously the advice of science because the, 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 the Intergovernmental Panel for Climate Change, the experts, have told us 
when we have to act, and what should be the level of ambition. It's clear that the world is not answering to that. But at least the European Union has to be the first major economy to decarbonize, to become carbon neutral, and to prove that you can grow your GDP and reduce emissions at the same time. But we are all, we are all late because science has been, been for many years advising us. But now people are realizing with the floods, with the droughts, with the big fires, with the melting of the ice, that things are going faster than they thought. This is a battle that we have arrived late, but we can recuperate the time lost if we act now. And that has, has to happen. And in the next uh, big uh, climate meeting in Glasgow next year will be the time to assess progress and to see how the level of ambition has to be raised. Are you optimistic or pessimistic about how much harder we're going to have to push? I am very much concerned about what's happening in the world. Because if you see the commitments uh, under the Paris Agreement, China, which is the biggest world emitter, which is nearly 30% of global emissions, will not peak emissions until 2030. That means that Chinese emissions will keep on growing. Eh? While uh, the European emissions, the United States emissions are, are, going, are going down. And my second big concern is that in Africa, more than 600 million people have no access to electricity. It's not that they produce electricity with coal or gas or, or generators powered by fuel oil. No, they have no electricity at all. How Africa electrifies is a, a, an element which will change the pattern of global emissions. If uh, China uh, sells uh, to the Africans coal power uh, electricity, electricity producing plants, we have one way. If uh, Africa electrified with renewables, with photovoltaics, with, with, with windmills, it's a different game. So that's an element of big concern and a big question mark on, on the road to the global decarbonization. Especially considering China's rollout of their new Silk Road, so to speak, where they're investing highly in Africa and other no, developing they, they are in, They are investing in raw materials, in, in rare earths, in, in, all, in, in all kind of elements, and, and they are making development cooperation with sometimes that is, is, is not goes in the direction of the Paris Agreement, because we are getting out of coal all over the world. Eh? And now uh, there are sometimes investment in, in, in coal power generation plants, which is another exercise. The one thing that is very good is that solar costs have come down so much, especially coming down in Africa where there is so much sun that that should be able to account for a great deal of the energy onboarding. It's, it's given clear that the lack of the solar panels, the price has been reduced by 80% in the last five years. And they are much more efficient in addition. And it's also uh, uh, wind power uh, is, is, is also more available. The problem is that uh, in order to, 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 to make a big change in, in, the, in, the, in the way electricity is you need the private sector to invest because the energy transition will not be done with the public budgets. They are insufficient. We need billions, and, the, and those billions can only come from the private sector. But the private sector needs security, needs friendly environments 
for investment, need predictability. And this and in this African country, sometimes the legislation has no predictability, there is no legal security, and then the private sector is afraid. So we have to cooperate with these countries to help them establish friendly legal frameworks for environment so that the private sector goes there, invest in clean technology and make cheap energy available to the populations who have no energy at all now. Do you think in the future, if we have countries not getting on board with reducing climate emissions, that we'll have other countries either threatening or actively invading to install clean clean tech, so to speak? Well, the European Union, the European Union uh, is going to do a lot of efforts uh, to decarbonize and to produce uh, with the less uh, level of greenhouse gas emission. On the other side, we import uh, products from all over the world. And now uh, there is consideration of, in some sectors to establish border carbon tax adjustment so that the developing countries who export will have border taxes and they will have an incentive to decarbonize and go along the same direction than the rest of the world. But, it's very, but this is very challenging because uh, even if the European Union fully decarbonized in 2050, it's only 9% of the global emission. This, and, and, and decarbonizing is, is a task for all the countries of the world. A small island in the Pacific may decarbonize putting solar panels to produce electricity. It, it can be done. And, that, and that's what they can do. But developed countries can do much more at, at the moment. And, and that's what science says, that we have to accelerate the transition to clean energy. It's also possible that this is our Fermi paradox solution right there. Humanity wipes itself out like all of the other species that have existed in other solar systems and galaxies. But let's hope that's not it. Well, I think the capability of the human being to innovate, to develop new technologies is quite big. If you see an iPhone or a, 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 a telephone now, if you compare with something only 20 years ago, that's a revolution. And I expect that in the production of energy, in clean transportation, uh, uh, we will have the same levels of breakthrough technologies in 20 years that will facilitate that we don't destroy ourselves and that we do not accelerate natural processes and we preserve uh, biodiversity and we have sustainable environments. Speaking of transportation, animal agriculture and agriculture at large are about the same amount of global emissions. What are your thoughts on uh, genetically engineered or lab-grown meat? On, on GMOs, and GMOs, there's a big discussion in the European Union and, and resolved. But also, there is very clear a, a, pattern, a pattern that the, popul the global population is growing at, at, at big speed. The demography in countries like Africa are spectacular. The need for food are very important. The use of pesticides and fertilizers has to be to reduce in order to reduce emissions. And that leads that we will have to develop innovative solutions. For sure, those solutions have been compatible with the health of the citizens. As you can see now, now we are with, the, with this virus who all the, the world is, is fighting. And that's why the, the health of the citizens has to be one, one of the priorities, but also food security is another. There is a lot of division amongst European countries 
about the reaction towards genetic modified organisms that can be used for food. There was a great book by one of our past guests, Charles Mann, and it was the concept of the wizard and the prophet. Hmm. There are those that look to the past for innovative solutions for the future and those that try to create new technologies to solve the problem of the future. And the big problem lies in the clash between the two trying to improve the future by thinking the other is an idiot. How do we unify people across those crazy barriers as extremity as extremism seems to amplify, especially thanks to Facebook, Twitter, the internet, the media? Well, I, I think that in, that in climate policy, we have very good profits. They tell us what's going to happen if we don't, if we don't uh, maintain the global temperature, the, the increase of global temperature compared to industrial levels well below 2 degrees or even uh, 1.5 degrees. So our, our prophets have very science-based prophecies. They are not prophecies out of the blue. They say... Oh, that, that's, that's, not, that's what I mean. So pro- what profit means is... Imagine a imagine a Silicon Valley tech executive saying we're going to create something that okay let's put it this way yeah if you had to put a hundred percent of your resources mm-hmm. or the the EU's resources behind technologies to actively pull carbon and et cetera out of the atmosphere or you had to put a hundred percent of the resources et cetera out of technologies currently existing to reduce emissions and change the way that certain things are done in terms of agriculture, et cetera. Which well, would you rely on? With, with, the, car- in with, the, current, with the current technologies we, we, we already have, we, we can achieve certain levels of decarbonization, improving eh? with renewables, with energy efficiency. Uh, we, 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 we can arrive uh, somewhere. Uh, with electric mobility, hydrogen, for we can arrive. But there will be some sectors difficult to decarbonize. And in those, we have to invest uh, our money. And, and one of the techniques is carbon capture uh, and, and storage. Stor- that is pretty clear that in very intensive ener- energy industrial processes, there will be a need to sequestrate the, the CO2 and, and then store it somewhere. So in, uh, that's a very clear one. The second technology that, that we have to develop is what happens in the agricultural set, because there, there are emissions of methane uh, and, uh, and also of nitrogen because of fertilizers and because of the way ruminants are fed. We will need meat in the future, and we have to improve the way that ruminants digest the food they take. In those areas, I think that we have to invest very heavily in, 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 in trying to establish new uh, ways and technologies. And just to put that in English, cow's fart and the methane is a greenhouse gas. That's, a major yeah, it's just, that's plain English. But, but that is a very important emission because they emit methane, which is much more dangerous greenhouse gas than CO2. Eh? So that's very, rele- very, very relevant. Eh? At the same time, the, fa- the farmers, the land sector, is the sector in which we have sinks of CO2 naturally because of forests and, be- and because the way the, the plants uh, interact with the atmosphere. So the cows are much more important than, than they seem. But the, the solution is not to eliminate the cows. The solution is to improve how you feed the cows.
Exactly. And how you recapture. I want to transition a little bit. So you've had some very high level roles in the Spanish government and working with the EU. What are some of the big challenges that you found with working in a bureaucracy, both as the Spanish government and then a larger bureaucracy of the EU? Well, the, the, the bureaucracy of the EU is quite small, highly performing, but quite small sometimes compared with the national administration. The problem working in national administrations is that normally the, the results of the election change the policy. So there's a government from the left uh, has a, a policy, then two years later comes a from the right and changes the policy. So you are always th thinking very short term. In the European Union, you think in the long term eh, because the policies remain eh, uh, and are improved over time. And they are applied in the 28, now 27 member states, regardless of electoral results. So it's a, it's a different challenge. challenge. And if you're a minister, you have to do something very fast in very few years that gives immediate results. In the European Union, you are facing long-term challenge with very sound policies prepared by very good bureaucrats. When I was a minister I, in Spain, I was always blaming the bureaucracy of Brussels. Once I have been in Brussels, I have come to respect the European civil servants. So, so that's, that's a lesson I, I, I have learned over the five past years. How, how do you think about, so China specifically, they don't have any of those issues in terms of elections. It's more of less, hey, you're in for life, set the policy, which has major, major, major drawbacks. But it also allows them to act in much longer time frames of we're going to solve this problem. We're going to make this change. Damn it, we're going to build a bridge across the world and it's going to take two days kind of deal. How do we how do you think about the future of authoritarianism and democracy where we need that long-term thinking now more than ever? No, I am I am I am a firm believer that democracy is the best political system for the citizens uh, in the short, in the medium, in the long time. I also have to admit that central plan's economy um, may have the capability to act very fast. It's very clear that China uh, has invested very heavily in renewables, uh, very heavily. They have invested in electric vehicles. They are the leaders in the production of batteries. They are fighting for the leadership in artificial intelligence. Um, so uh, they have the capabilities to take decisions. And at the same time, they have a big problem of fair quality in the cities because they haven't managed industrial development and make it compatible uh, with the health of the citizens sometimes. So they have some advantages, but in the end, respect for human rights, democratic system is better for the citizens. But um, they have uh, the National Reform Committee who have made, in, in, in the case of, of, of climate, China in the international negotiations has been a leader. They are leaders of the third world. They command the leader in the, in the G77, in the basic group. Uh, so uh, in international negotiations, there are climate negotiations. They are a very big player and they have big constructive, right? and, uh, tough negotiators. But in the end, it was possible to have agreement with them. They're probably the biggest player at this point, either China or the EU. And if not now, then soon. Well, in international negotiations, uh, it's a multilateral scheme 
in which the, the, the vote of Vanuatu has the same value as the vote at China, uh, in principle, no? In the, in the real negotiations, you have to build alliances. The Chinese have an alliances with many countries of the developing world, and the European Union, uh, with, uh, with the United States then, we built the high ambition coalition, and we assembled lots of progressive countries from the Pacific Islands, uh, from Africa, from the Caribbean, from Latin America, uh, to be able to be in the negotiating table with more power. But uh, that's the way uh, things were played in Paris, and that's the way they continue to be playing. The only thing, now we miss the United States as an important player in the table. Yeah, you kind of lost You kind of lost your Messi from Barcelona team kind of deal. It's, um, yeah, no, it's no. a major... It, 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 it was a very good team, and, and they have their own Messi. Eh? They have very good uh, negotiators and, and a an splendid team in the negotiations. We miss them. How do we? How do you think about what's happened? What's been said? The the trade, whatever you want to call it, war, um, Armageddon. How do you think about what's happened between the U.S. and Europe, and well, how long, or if that's refixable? First of all, I am a firm believer in the multilateral frame. In the, in, in the World Trade Organization, uh, we have a very good scheme. We were reducing custom duties. Uh, we, we, we have systems to settle disagreements, and I believe that we, we need multilateralisms, uh, as we need the Paris Agreement, which is a multilateral agreement. And trade wars, I think, are not positive for none of the players, none of the players. And, 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 and we, we, when we had the first problem with the United States, we tried to solve our uh, problems. We tried to understand what the United States wanted to export and we try to avoid that there were uh, unnecessary custom duties. Unfortunately, there was the Airbus Boeing case, and uh, the United States imposed sanctions in many products to some of the countries. This is creating big problems for, for uh, in agriculture mainly, the exports of uh, olive oil, of wine, of cheese, of some of the products. And, and, and now there will be the decision on the Boeing case who will allow the European Union to put custom duty to the United States. I think that's not about, about, about system. The best thing is to have trade agreement, free trade, and be able uh, to export to each, to each other when you are competitive and you have the technologies and, and the good products. So reverting back to protectionism, I don't think is the best way forward in the 21st century. I think it's definitely not the best way forward, but it is something that you see more and more, even in Europe, in terms of certain separatists or individualistic type. I mean, there's been a swing to the right kind of across the board. Does that worry you? And how do we address that? Well, there, there, is, there, is, a, there is a change because in most of the, in most of the elections, the, the political results are very much fragmented and you need coalition governments. You have people from the extreme right on the extreme left, you have populist nationalists. It's not an easy way. I suppose that things will calm in the medium uh, and long term. But in, in initially, uh, people uh, are, are, are reacting when they are angry against the politicians uh, and, and they vote in any direction. But that's, that, that's the, the results of democracy. You have to accept it, and then you have to, to organize uh, uh, how you live to, together. Um, we, in the, when I was, the European Union, what tries is to have a legislative framework which is applied 
in all the 27 countries, regardless of the electoral results. So climate policy, whatever happens with the results of the election, will have to be applied the same way in all the European Union. It doesn't happen in everything, but uh, uh, that's the way we have a single market. We have very much common policies. We have a common trade policy uh, that we can negotiate in the name of the 27, regardless of the fragmentation of the political landscape in every different member state. Unless we see more countries go the way of the UK, that I, which would be, ter- which would I, be uh, terrible. That should be terrible, but also it may, it may happen that there are many countries coming to get in. There is a long waiting list of countries who want to become member of the United States. And, w- and you have heard what, what the Scottish politician says, uh, all, all the world politicians say. I think that the, the, the European Union will keep on enlarging uh, at an intelligent pace in the future. And I don't see a, a disaggregation of member states from the European Union project because we are too small to be a global player. To be a global player, to be on a level playing field with China, with India, with the United States, uh, you cannot act as a single country. It's, in, it's impossible to have significance designing the, 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 the world policies if you are a small, tiny country. Even the biggest one uh, is a small country by global standards. Yeah, strength in numbers. Our, our states are your countries. Mm-hmm. It's crazy. What uh, I want to transition a little bit. Let's go the opposite direction. What technology or trend are you most worried about today and why? The technology I, I, I am most, I, I most worried at, at, at the moment is still coal, coal, because we still have lots of, of countries who are very highly dependent on coal at the moment in, in the European Union. We some countries are facing it out, but uh, there are some countries that need a more longer energy transition and that we have to develop uh, techniques of, of sequestration and capture uh, and storage of, of CO2 in order to make that transition uh, more uh, light. What are your thoughts on nuclear? I, I, I am not pro-nuclear, not, not anti-nuclear. I was, in, I was in charge in the European Union of, of uh, nuclear s- safety and uh, in the European Union, we have all kinds of countries. We, we have countries who have taken the decision to, to phase out the nuclear power. There are other countries who are building new nuclear power plants. Uh, and, 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 and we have all, all, all kinds. Because according to the Treaty of the European Union, countries are sovereign to define their energy mix. The only thing uh, that the European uh, uh, Union Commission does is to assure the maximum level of safety, of security, and the better uh, ways of dispose of the nuclear spent fuel. I have, nevertheless, the concern that we haven't built yet in the European Union a nuclear uh, depository for uh, spent, spent fuel, a, geology, a geological proper depository. Countries are obliged to have it, but they are uh, very late developing them, and only one country, which is Finland, is doing a proper job in this area. What about in terms of future technologies, AI, quantum computing, robotics, etc.? 
Which technologies give you the most worry or keep you up at night? Uh, the future technologies don't, don't, don't make me worry. I, I am concerned about uh, cybersecurity and data protection. I was responsible of, of energy in the European Union. And as we digitalize the grids, the problem of cyber attacks uh, become much more complicated. So that, that, that is, an, is an, an element of, of real concern. But there is a technology we haven't spoken, which is fusion. fusion eh? And we have a very big project in, in, in cooperation with the United States, with Japan, with Russia, and other countries to develop uh, fusion energy uh, in, in the medium term. If that works... And, and, and we have in, in France, in Cataraz, the first uh, important plant. If that works, it can change the way we produce energy and we have very uh, available energy at very low cost. That is a technology we always have been speaking that plasma will be there, that we will produce that it will be working, but we are developing the biggest uh, innovative project on that area. We don't speak too much, but that may give us a very good surprise in the, in the, in the future. Yeah, we had the director on about 100 episodes ago. It was um, It's a very interesting project. Fusion could change the world. Essentially, goods would become almost free. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, the question is still, can we get to net positive so that it's actually economically feasible? But that, that's the case. The, 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 the first plan has to prove the value of the technology, and then we have to make it marketable as, as, as everything. But um, uh, if you see what the scientist says, it might be a, promise, a, a promising one. And it's a project in which uh, everybody is on board and nobody wants to go away. The United States have not, uh, as far as I know, uh, withdraw from this project. No, I believe they're still involved as well. There's mm -hmm. money talks. Mm -hmm. Money, what money. are your, I want to get a bold contrarian 10-year prediction from you. Something you believe that most most people around you wouldn't. A, 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 a kind, of, a kind of, pred of prediction. It can be about anything. The United States will be back on the Paris Agreement. With the next presidency? I don't know if in the next or the following, but you have asked me for a prediction for 10 years. I like it. I very much hope that happens as well. Mm. I don't see how it could not happen mm. in a long-term perspective. But uh, as some people like to say, shit happens. So we will find out. Well, I, I, I hope reason come back, come back. And the public support to the Paris Agreement in the, in the American public is, is rising. Uh, as I told you, the climate alliance of the governors and, and mayors is having lots of action. And, and the big corporations... Are, in, are going in, in, in the right direction, that uh, may change the attitude. But we need a big player like the United States uh, going in the direction of uh, fulfilling the Paris Agreement targets. Because that means also supporting the technologies of the future and, and, and making development uh, aid successful to facilitate the energy transition to the poor countries of the world. If I gave you a billion dollars to go and create an organization, a business, a project, etc., to address what you think is the biggest issue in the world right now today, it can be around climate change or something else. 
what would it be? What would you do, and why? Well, I, th- I, I, I think I think that there are two things still important. No, uh, first is access to water. Second, access to electricity. Both are needed to to create economic development in in, in the poor society. So I I will use my billion dollar to try to solve really a part of that problem. Even a billion dollar is very tiny compared with the needs. It's crazy the difference between first world problems and survival problems. What? But that's why and a lot of times we forget that the, the survival problems are very clear in, in the African continent. It, it, if, glo- if global warming keeps on the, uh, at, the, at the rate is going, there will be 500 million of people who have to migrate. And the, and the migration problem we have in the European Union now, which is a small numbers, compared with the big waves of migration that we will see. Do you have any potential ideas? Let's say we're not able to. There will be there will be mass migrations. I think either way. The question is just how big. No, what do you think they, is they, the they best can, way to address be, that? They can be very impressive. Eh? In, in the sub-Saharan area, if we if, if the desertification accelerates at the rate is going, the numbers are huge, are huge, and people have access to internet, know what happens in the developed world, and you cannot stop those phenomena. That's why in all the geopolitics strategies, the migration problem now is factoring. Yeah, there's a great rap quote. When your back's against the wall, you just start shooting. You do whatever it takes to survive. Mm-hmm. How, how do we deal with that going forward if we assume there will be some form of mass migration? Well, the, the, how the do only, we make integration the only, work? The only way is to fulfill the agreements made in Paris. To make every country uh, deliver the national determined contribution. To raise ambition over time and to make sure that by 2060 or 2070, the rise of the world temporality is, is kept at safety levels. So we, we know what we have to do. And we have to do in the European Union two things. First, be the first major economy to become carbon neutral. And second, doing a diplomatic outreach outreach with the rest of the world to facilitate that everybody goes in the right direction. What we have to do and what has to be done, the problem is we know. The second problem is that these policies are long-term policies. They don't win you votes in the next elections. You are working for people of future generations for 20 or 30 elections later. So that's the difficulty of the of the exercise and the beauty of it. You're making someone go to the gym for 25 years before they start to see the results. It's tough, but what? it's something that we but, have to do. But, but it's worth doing that. It's worth doing. Guys, I think this is a great play to start to wrap this up. I have one last question for you, Miguel. Yeah. And that's if I wanted you to leave us something, something we haven't addressed yet. It can be a quote, a call to action. What would you want to say to listeners and why? To them is if you believe that we need to fight global warming, start with the way you conduct yourself. Consume less energy. Walk. Cycle, transport yourself in zero or low emission vehicles, and press your political representatives to fulfill the commitments under the Paris Agreement. I wouldn't say big phrases like save the planet. No, individual acts have an impact when they are multiplied by billion. If you put off all the lies, if you lose less warm water, if you lose excess your motorcar, and use public transportation. You are putting a little bit, and many little bits 
make a big amount of reduction of emissions. Exactly. And I would say don't try to do everything. No, no. Just just be conscious of every decision. It it better also. Exactly. Guys, I think you know what to do. I think this has been a valuable interview. I've certainly enjoyed it and I hope you guys have as well. Miguel, thanks for coming. Where can people find out more about you? And I, I never even had a chance to ask you about the, the prize that you're working on. Well, now I, I, I keep on connected to climate policy. And now I am member of a jury of a prize given by the Gulbenkian Foundation, a, a very important Portuguese foundation, who will have a very generous uh, um, economic endowment and in, that will recognize the efforts of individuals of group of individuals, of organizations who have made outstanding contributions, innovative contributions, and, and, and that they have a big impact uh, in, in fighting uh, global warming. And, and, and I am extremely happy to try to select those guys who are doing the job on the ground. But because that now is not the time of negotiation. It's the time of action. And it's also the time that that action is recognized by a price, which is a price for humanity, but will be concentrated in climate policy in the next five years. And, and it's difficult eh, to, to choose who is the guy or, or the group who has done something outstanding. It's difficult because there are many people doing very important things in the world. And I am enjoying every single minute I am member of the jury of this prize. Put your money where your mouth is. I like it. Thank you, Miguel. Thank you. And we'll you. have links and everything in the show notes, guys. Disruptors.fm. Check it out. You know what to do. Thanks for coming, Miguel. Thank you to you. I have enjoyed every single minute. And if you guys want your kids and your kids' kids to have a future, share this podcast. Help us get it out there so we can disseminate some information. Thanks for tuning in. Cheers. Be the change you want to see in the world. That's something I strive towards and fail towards every single day. If you enjoyed this podcast, if you think the world could benefit from conversations like this, the greatest compliment you can give us is referring to the disruptors to a friend or talking about us on social media. Please take 30 seconds to do so. It would mean the world to us. And if we're lucky, help us build towards a better world. Thanks so much for listening. Thanks so much for helping us spread the message and have a great day. If you want more of The Disruptors, you can subscribe to the podcast on iTunes or go to disruptors.fm, where you'll find tons of audio and video interview stories with leaders in the fields of genetics, cryptocurrency, longevity, AI, space, VR, and much, much more. You can also follow me on Twitter at MattWardIO. If you enjoyed the show, please leave a quick review on iTunes at disruptors.fm slash iTunes to help more people discover the podcast and help us make a bigger impact.